You think you've got issues? Hi, I'm Dr. Laurie Appel. Welcome to my podcast, where we will be talking about a variety of mental health issues because, you know, we've all got issues. So on today's program, we're going to be talking about autism spectrum disorder. To do that, I have a very special guest with me here today, Ms. Ashley Freemanis. Ashley is a Pennsylvania licensed behavioral specialist who has worked with individuals diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and their families for over 14 years. She's been a consultant for the Devereaux Foundation in Pennsylvania's wraparound program as a therapeutic staff support person, mobile therapist, and a behavior specialist consultant. She's also worked with adults with autism spectrum disorders as a behavior analyst for the Devereaux Foundation. Ashley has served as a counselor for Talk School, a private school for students with speech and language disorders located in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, since 2011, and is a PA and New Jersey certified school counselor. Ashley earned her master's degree in counseling and human relations at Villanova University in 2007 and is the co-founder of CF Counseling Connections, LLC, which is a Pennsylvania-based organization offering community-based social groups for young adults on the autism spectrum. Ashley's therapeutic philosophy is strengths-based. She looks to find the best in individuals that she serves and to use those strengths to help foster meaningful change in the areas that are more challenging. So welcome, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. So before I ask you questions, could you just explain to our audience, just sort of define autism spectrum disorders for us? Absolutely. Autism spectrum disorder is a complex neurobehavioral condition that's characterized by difficulties in social communication and social interaction and by restricted and repetitive behaviors, interests, or activities. And there's a wide variation in the type of symptoms and the severity of symptoms that people experience, which is why it's called a spectrum disorder. So as a psychologist, a lot of times parents come to me right after their child has been diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. What advice would you give parents of a newly diagnosed child with autism? Well, I would say early intervention is very important. So early detection, early intervention, they're important in helping children on the autism spectrum to get what they need in terms of support to reach their full potential. So young children with or without autism are learning at a rapid rate about the world around them and how they fit into that world. So seeking therapy as early as feasibly possible is helpful during this rapid time of brain development. And what are some of the um, examples of what early intervention techniques would be? Like what kinds of early interventions? So early intervention might um, be in the form of behavior therapy, applied behavior analysis. It could be speech therapy, occupational therapy. Um, so various, you know, depending on, on what that child needs. And it's really important to focus on the individual. So as I said, with, with being a spectrum, each individual will have a unique presentation of interests, of strengths, and of challenges. So it's important to focus on what your individual child needs most. Well, I love that because I've said in a previous 
podcast that there is no one size fits all when it comes to parenting. So even with a particular defined condition, there's still no one size fits all in terms of the type of techniques you want to use. Now, I know that there are a lot of misconceptions out there. What are some common misconceptions for autism spectrum disorder? I often hear people and even professionals talk about how people with autism don't want to be social or they don't have a desire to make friends. And I have found this simply to not be the case. In my experience, and especially with teens and young adults who are really beginning to self-advocate and share their thoughts and, and feelings, there's this overarching theme that they want to connect and they want to have friends and a fulfilling social life. Um, it's a challenge, but that challenge should not be misconstrued as a lack of desire for social interaction. So individuals with autism may have a desire for social connection, but they have certain challenges. What are the challenges that they face in terms of trying to have social interactions and trying to have intimate relationships? You know, it really depends, again, on the individual, but some of the things that I see are difficulty initiating conversations, um, taking the perspective and listening to the perspective of others, and maintaining a reciprocal conversation. Um, And again, it's my feeling that these things should not be confused with a lack of desire because sometimes the behavior that you see is not congruent with the intention. The intention might be that they want to have friends and they seek um, social interaction, but that it's just more challenging. So we need to help to support them. What are some other common misconceptions about people with autism? I mean, I've heard of, of some that, you know, they're very flat, they don't have emotions. What are some other misconceptions? Um, you know, some some people don't realize, and I feel like I'm really lucky to have um, the opportunity to work with a lot of people and, and see that the sense of humor, I, I really am struck by the sense of humor um, in the folks that I work with. Some of the most quick-witted and funny people that I've come into contact with are on the spectrum. And the same thing goes for empathy. You know, I've been stopped in my tracks witnessing empathy and concern for others. And these are things that some people might not necessarily associate with autism. So um, it's definitely worth mentioning. But these are things that I that I see in my practice. So I noticed that as you've been talking, you say individuals with autism and not autistic people. Yes. So you know, there's a debate about whether people should use person first or identity first language. Um, You know, with person first language, I would say person with autism or individual with autism, Uh, whereas with identity first language, I would say autistic. And this is a tough one because there doesn't really seem to be a right answer. So it's something that I kind of grapple with and and stumble over. Um, Many self-advocates for autism and, and, and others with autism um, would argue that identity first language is their preference, that autism is an integral part of who they are, and they feel like saying autistic embraces their autism rather than viewing it as a negative thing. Yet others would argue that person first language is more respectful, and the argument there is that person first language focuses on the individual first and the autism second. Um, So for people who argue in support of person-first language, they may say that autism is something that they have, but it's not who they are. Um, So it's it's really tricky, and it's not something, you know, that I have a definitive answer for uh, because there's really powerful arguments in favor of both preferences. That's really interesting. So you have worked for many, many years with people on the spectrum. And what what are some of the really important things that you've learned about people with autism that you would want to share with their audience? 
people? Uh, you know, I've learned to presume intellect. Um, because communication, because of communication challenges, some individuals with autism may not able to, be, to show all that they know and all that they understand. And this can be confused with a lack of knowledge and how frustrating to understand things and yet have people, therapists, family members, teachers, you know, people at restaurants or stores treat you like you don't understand what's happening. Um, and I've learned that the way a person with autism presents, you know, behaviorally or in terms of communication does not really give the full picture of where they are intellectually. Um, and, you know, I've been out in the community with people with autism and well-intentioned people have asked me questions that should be asked directly to the adult next to me. Um, but because of, you know, those biases that they may have and not presuming intellect, they may assume that the person's not aware and they, and they look to me rather than that individual. So, you know, it's my feeling that that must be incredibly frustrating. And, and in talking to folks with autism, that that's incredibly fr frustrating. So always, and I can't stress it enough, always presume intellect. Okay, so what are ways, if we're going to presume intellect, what are some ways that people can approach a person with autism? I think it's important to talk directly to the person, assume that they understand you, be respectful, and um, this includes not talking about someone with autism in front of them, right? Just like I wouldn't want people having conversations about me, you know, or, or things that I'm struggling with. I would encourage parents and professionals to re refrain from those types of conversations and include the person in the conversations and assume that they're um, and, and have them be a part of it. Because that's really important to maintaining a person's self-esteem. So in terms of self-esteem, what are some ways that we can help to build, maintain the self-esteem of individuals who are struggling with a lot of challenges? Well, I think looking for strengths. You know, all people have strengths and weaknesses. And if my whole life or if your whole life was about people pointing out what we were not good at or what's most challenging for us or what might come more naturally to others than, than for, for myself, you know, what would that do for my self-esteem? And how would that impact my ability to try things or to move through challenges? You know, it would be terrible. It would be a terrible place to be. Um, so because this is true for all people, it's certainly true for those on the spectrum. So instead of focusing on deficits, focus on strength. What's working for the person? What are their interests? What do they enjoy? And when we highlight their strengths and their interests, we get to really appreciate that individual and all that they're capable of. So it's really important to support them with their strengths, but we know that they still have challenges such as repetitive behavior. So how do you navigate that supporting them with their strengths while also dealing with the challenges that they face? Well, I'd say you know, it would be helpful to use the positive areas, the strengths, uh, to help to support their challenges. So for example, I've seen kids that are incredibly knowledgeable about a subject area, you know, for example, trains, and I've seen the tendency for well-meaning adults to say, no more trains, and, and try to squash that you know, obsession. And I would argue that using this interest can be helpful. How do we work on math using trains? How do we work on spelling or vocabulary or art or, you know, how do we learn to tell time using trains? So capitalizing on strengths and interests rather than fighting against them reduces frustration and is more respectful and, and beneficial for everyone involved. So we've talked about some of these challenging behaviors, these obsessions and repetitive behaviors. From your perspective, what are the what is this what are these behaviors about well you know behavior is communication so um, it's really important to try to uncover the why behind the behavior 
You know, what need is that behavior meeting? What is the function and how is the behavior being reinforced? It's important in terms of helping to validate and acknowledge the person's feelings and needs. And once we understand the function, we can seek alternative ways for the person to meet their needs in a more socially acceptable or safe way. So could you give me an example of that? I really like that technique, but I, I would like to hear an example of what that would be like or what that's been like in your experience. So sometimes I see um, individuals who might have the tendency to reach reach for their peers or reach um, for me and, and kind of squeeze and, and have that kind of physical connection, um, but it, it could hurt a peer. It could, it, you know, could be misconstrued as, as aggression. So we would want to give them something that they could squeeze, something that would be, you know, like a, a squeeze ball or one of those koosh balls that they could squeeze that would help to meet that need without potentially hurting a friend. All right, so before we wrap up today, what are some final words that you would want to say about how to support people who have autism? Well, I think it's really important to learn from the experts, and the experts are people with autism. So while parents and therapists and other, you know, quote-unquote experts may have great knowledge and insight, learning directly from autistic people is where I've learned some invaluable lessons and where I think the focus needs to be. There are teens and adults on the spectrum that have shared their perspective, and these accounts are extremely helpful in gaining a better understanding of what it might be like for the person in your life with autism. And they say if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism because each individual is unique and and they experience the world in a different way. However, learning directly from people with autism has been extremely helpful for me. Unfortunately, this is a time in history where we have the benefit of being able to learn from autistic self-advocates. So I would encourage people to take advantage of this. You know, just as I would ask my friend who has diabetes what it's like to have diabetes, I would ask those who are directly impacted on a daily basis with autism what it's like for them. You know, learn many perspective, perspectives because these folks, in my view, are the experts. And I've learned more directly from them than I've learned in any conference or textbook. Ashley Fumanis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's podcast. I'm Dr. Laurie, and I will see you next podcast. Dr. Laurie Appel is a licensed psychologist in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Her license and practice information is available on her website, laurieappelpsyd.com. All information provided on Dr. Laurie's podcast is solely for educational and informational purposes and is not meant to serve as psychological counseling. If you have personal issues you would like to explore, please contact a licensed mental health professional in your state.